0: Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, Amir Ryder here with another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. I got my guest today, Amanda Popow. I hope, Popow, Popow, I can pronounce it, right? Close enough. We're both in the same area, Northeast, straight to the point. Amanda, thank you for joining us today. How are you?
1: Great. Good to be here. Blue skies, first day of spring. Let's do it.
0: Yep. Well, man I yes I didn't realize it was spring yet time has gone by fast it's a, a I live in I live in spring it's just constantly spring here in Columbia it's basically you're in New Jersey it's basically June every month of the year uh exactly that same weather so I've not noticed it. welcome to spring
1: lucky uh, you Sam
0: we're gonna get you down here it's all part of me you're now in the awareness phase of, of Columbia we'll, we'll get you down here but for mm-hmm. anybody anybody chiming in uh typically we have people who are either sales agencies themselves are, are, are getting, you know, to know other agencies in the industry and hear tips and tricks or first time buyers of outsourced sales agencies. Sometimes people who've uh, tried outsourcing before and claim that it didn't work. Right. And our, our, our idea is just by really talking more about the mistakes that may, buyers make with the hope that buyers will avoid those mistakes and get the pipeline that they want, which is usually why they hire agencies. Before I get into that. Maybe you could tell people a quick fact about you and how you got into this lovely outsourced sales industry to begin with in general.
1: Pipeline. I love that word. Um, that is the name of the game in sales and in and, and owning a business. If you don't have a pipeline, what do you, what have you got? Right. So, um, so <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, so how we got started. So I got fired, right? So this is what happened. I got fired from um, my first job out of college and uh, turns out I, I actually wasn't very good at sales. I wasn't good at closing the deal. Um, and they probably should have let me go sooner, but I was really good at cold calling. And um, so they kept me for about a year and then it was time to go. And um, so I said, well, what am I going to do now? I had an English degree because I was originally on my way to law school, decided I was going to defer that for a while. And, um, But I was good at one thing, and that was cold calling. And so I said, well, what if I give this a shot and try to start a business? Um, That was two decades ago. So that uh, that was done in my early 20s, and I had little to lose anyway. And so I was in New Jersey, central Jersey, about 10 minutes from Princeton. And I worked out of my house for the first couple years, did all the cold calling myself, uh, and then we grew rather slowly. And um, in the beginning there, it was just a, you know, it was very organic. And it was me, you know, working 16-hour days and and joining the different uh, membership organizations, doing my own outbound calling to get sales. And then we started doing well and uh, hired some people. And um, we're still here in Central Jersey, although we have changed the course of, uh, of how we hire and how we go about sourcing our people. But otherwise, uh, things have, have gone well. And uh, we seek to do appointment setting and lead generation in a better way, B2B.
0: Well, I would like to say that that one thing you're good at is the hard thing. So I would rather be good at the hard thing than good at the easy thing. I, I kind of think that these days, AEs or more customer support, answer questions. And I think that the real sales happens from the, uh, the SDR side. So I would not undersell that you got, you were good at the hard thing and you turned a business out of the hard thing you were good at.
1: I like that. I like that, that attitude about it. And, uh, and I would agree. And and of course I got better at sales over the years, but, um, I, I was just, I was good at rapport building. I was good at uh, getting the prospect to say, all right, I'll give you 20 minutes. And, um, and that that is the hardest part of sales that's the grind right that's the grind but we got to get good at the grind or we got to hire people that are good at the grind either way it's got to get done
0: i like facebook and and instagram and twitter ads are always grinding every day they're just pictures but they're grinding right the flip side is the digital space is owned by the big billion dollar companies and then a, a lot of humans are fighting over the manual phone call, email spaces, but it's all B2B, lead gen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I would imagine that I think you're probably really good at because you're super clear, direct, and to the point you are a Northeaster. And I love people from the Northeast because I could be direct and honest with them. And uh, it makes sense. There's probably no, hey, how are you? I hate that call. It's probably right uh-huh. there. Hey, I, I like it. that. That hurts me. Uh, so you've been doing this for two decades, which is awesome, right? Um, lots has changed back then, but what you've probably seen over the last 20 years are a pattern, right? And, and a pattern of buying behaviors right now, I don't want to get into the behaviors now that you're higher. That's going to be the second question. But what is the biggest mistake that you've seen buyers make when searching for an agency when hiring mm-hmm. an agency? And obviously the mistakes that I'm referring to are not mistakes of like, I couldn't close them, but mistakes that really hurt the buyer from finding the right agency, making the right deal with the right agency and really they think they're winning, but they're kind of not.
1: Right. Right. I think that one of the greatest mistakes is that you're hiring uh, in your head. If you are a buyer and you hire like a commodity, meaning you, you treat appointment setting and lead generation, like you're buying a widget, right. And you look for the lowest price, for example, the lowest price doesn't always win. Right. So you, you can have a low price, and maybe you'll have okay quality, or maybe you'll have great quality, but maybe it's not the lowest price. You usually can't get it all at once, and so for buyers that always want to shop lowest price, this is human engagement we're talking about here,
0: right? Nature, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's and it's you have to you you're essentially um, you have to determine what you're after. So you have to figure out your goals. You have to determine. Um, what length of time and your budget and how much you're really willing to put in and if it's not enough don't bother so what i say to people is if if i'm taking your last two thousand dollars spend it somewhere else right if if i'm taking your last two thousand dollars where you say i have to make four sales in the next 30 days otherwise i'm not going to continue it then it's not a win it's not a it's not the mindset that's needed to be successful with any kind of marketing um but especially appointment setting and lead generation because it takes time to develop that opportunity and develop those processes. that makes
0: sense so i i'd ask you this right like i've seen that too right buying as its commodity looking for the low price it's, it's interesting right because i think if you ever ask those buyers about hey if you're if you're shopping to get a rocket ship and spaceship to go to mars are you gonna are you gonna try to get a deal on it right like you'll probably blow up right and like and it, it, I'm like it's it's really what's happening in sales, right? Because they're looking for the low price, thinking they're winning. But if you don't hit your pipeline, a you can miss your forecast. Lots of consequences for publicly traded for publicly traded companies that miss forecast. Consequences for funded companies that hit their forecast. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things where if you think about it from a rational standpoint. I would go out on limb saying that it's some probably something where you want to be like i want to pay more for this right or um you know something that we advise new time buyers on cloud task is to work with multiple agencies we often say hey do two at the same time and it's not to make a bigger sale it's because we don't know what's going to happen this way you're not going to say oh i tried it didn't work lose six months of pipeline and you can you can bet on the winning horse right or three so it's it's good hearing that over 20 years guys if you're listening amanda's probably seen it all and um, I have even wrote an article about that, so I'm going to attach it to the podcast. But yeah, if you buy based on price, it probably means that you don't really know the math of your funnel, right? And, and you might need some more education time. Um, talk to me a little bit about now about what happens when buyers don't buy on price. They come in, they know the process. They, 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 they look like a great partner on, on paper. Talk to me now about mistakes that buyers make when working with you, right? Because almost you almost... It's like whack-a-mole. You don't know what's gonna happen, right? They they can change, right? Now your champion is gone and now it's a different team. What, what have you seen over and over again? Uh, a pattern, something that can be fixed um, by the buyer that would improve their, their outcome and their money.
1: Sure. A few things come to mind. Number one is it's my job to be transparent about what we expect the outcome to be. So that's the first step for me as the seller, right? If I'm the salesperson selling my services, I want to ask the right questions, find out what the true objectives are, find out, um, you know, why somebody would want to buy from them, understand what prospect pain points we might hear about, and then turn that into a solid script with a good prospect list that then generates them the quantity of leads that we expect um, that I would present to them before we even pick up the phone. So it's first off to be on the same page. That's number one. Yeah. Um, the second step, I think, is to realize that it is a long ball game, right? This is what's that phrase where it's it's um, a marathon, not a sprint. That's the phrase. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen tomorrow. And I think that if buyers realize and and treat marketing and outbound prospecting like a twelve month effort, that doesn't mean you buy twelve months, right? You you buy a pilot program to test it. But once that test shows quantity and quality, now you want to say in your mind, all right, I've got a thirty dollars or forty dollars or $50,000 budget for outbound, which is still half the cost of a good salesman, right? So you you put your, your money in that long-term plan so that you can find the whales, right? That's really what's going to make a difference here. If mm-hmm. you go, okay, I got to make a bunch of sales in the next couple months, it might lead to an expectation that can't be met. Now, do we want you to make sales immediately? Yeah. Is that likely? Maybe not. And do, are you likely to make a whale of a sale? Probably not.
0: So So I'm I'm almost hearing two things. There's two things Mm -hmm. I heard, right. And I want to, I want to slow it down and unpack it a little bit. Uh, The first thing that I heard and correct me if I'm wrong, was that the mistake that buyers make while working with you is that they, they, the buyers focus on an outcome versus the actual value of a campaign where it's almost like the survey like hey the real gold here is in the nose it's in the rejections it's and they're so focused on did you get 10 meetings that they kind of overlook what they can extract which is like the market validation right
1: yeah Um, and then if
0: i heard you correctly the second mistake they always make on top of that is they don't know their math or their funnel they have a nine month sales cycle. They want an ROI in six months. They went out to go to raise a series A and told investors, we'll pay you back in 10 years. They want you to pay them back in two months. So it's like a dual side of thing, right? Where there's a mismatch on the math of the funnel. And also on the, the, the real ingredients, right? Like it's like working out in the gym, like those first couple of days where you're really sore, right? Like that's the goal, you know what I mean? And they're focused not on the the pain, but they're focused on the gains basically.
1: Yeah. And I love the words you just used. I think that you're dead on accurate, right? Which is sales cycle. If your sales cycle is nine months, why are you expecting to make a sale in three weeks? Yeah. I think you hit, hit upon that really. That's an important point. Yeah.
0: My so. speculation is just a lack of understanding and fear, right? Um, and, and, and that's, and also not protecting themselves, right? Like not protecting their downside. As I mentioned, like, Hey, don't, don't work with three agencies, right? Work with three SDRs and three don't focus on the how, but the outcome, right? Like, like almost like we gotta get this football over the the end zone, like get that football over the end zone, like, versus like, let's use as minimum touches as possible, right? Cause it's never like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I'm glad that you're saying these things because I I think that these are the biggest things that buyers can can make. And it, and and if anybody's listening to this as a buyer, I'm like the same principle works with an SDR direct hire. It works with the sales agents. It's it's these principles are pretty much the same whether you're outsourcing the SDR work or anything else, right? It's 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 like know your business. And I think that we're finally getting to the point where companies are ready for this. after COVID, right? I think they it was very much, Hey, if the person's in my office, I trust them. Right. And I'm going to use this emotionally. Now everyone's remote with each other. Now we have, we have a, a clear vision of what's happening. Um, how have you seen in general, the industry just, just change over 20 years?
1: Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lot of noise out there. Right. And there has been noise. Uh, the internet has been around since what 95 or so, uh, you know, between all of the marketing techniques that occur, which I'm a fan of them all, by the way, I believe in the multi-channel approach. And um, I think that they're all important, not just outbound prospecting in its own wheelhouse. I think it all works together. Um, but I think that there's a couple things that have changed in particular over the past couple of years, which I'm interested to see how it goes. And that is the uh, the AI related to prospect lists. So what I mean by that is that back in the day, you had Donna Bradstreet, you had Info USA, and you had uh, third, I can't remember which, which it is. which Nope, that was that's a little newer, um, and they they've used some crowdsourcing and some some AI. They were actually one of the first uh-huh. to really um, kind of blow up into this much higher price um, solution that scrubs the web and produces data that is typically better than you can get from InfoUSA or anything like that. And um, but that's you're going to pay the price for that, which is fine because. Finding direct dial names for the VP of Nike, nearly impossible if you try it on your own. Um, so I think with the, and there's a few competitors now to Zoom Info as well that has made it so that finding better prospect lists really helps out a sales effort. You got to be willing to put some money on it, of course, but having a qualified list is such a big part of the success for any outbound program. You're seeing. Yeah, I say to all my clients I'm like, look, if you don't have a list, which a large percentage of them don't. Hey guys, if you don't have a prospect list, start now. You got to start developing that that prospect list. And whether it's from inbound or whether it's a trade show or whether it's just doing some research with your admin, whatever that might look like, having a qualified prospect list that has some marketing behind it like an email newsletter for example, is a really solid way to make your outbound prospecting far more successful. Mm -hmm. So wherever you can um, really break into some better prospect lists. And I think that's probably what's changed the most over the past 20 years.
0: Yeah. So everybody listening, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's no longer do you have data, right? It's, 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 it's the same thing as seeds, right? If if you're buying seeds of trees that are never going to grow back to 20 feet trees and you're waiting 20 years and, and, they were never, they were, were dwarf trees to begin with, you're not gonna get it, right? And people overlook that. And we live in a world, like Amanda said, where you can really focus in on your target list. You can even verify it, you can get it validated first. You can do a lot of things with the data before ever giving it to an SDR or an agency. And the outcomes of your campaigns are gonna really differ less on you know, the motion, but more on the quality of the inputs. And this actually relates to, to a question that Tangier has, who says, question to Amanda, what specific strategies does market reach utilize to promote responsive clients engagement and excellence in staffing and how have the strategies contribute to the access to the business they serve. And interestingly enough, I think this question rolls into your last question, right? Because you went over the yeah. data. So I'd love to hear, love to hear okay. this answer.
1: Well, there's two questions here, right? Which is how do we, um, how do we get clients to engage? I think is the one question. And then how do we ensure excellent staffing results on our side? So, Um, The client engagement is really just making sure that they're highly connected to the outcome by um, setting up meetings relatively often with them. Uh, One of the things that's important to us is following up on a client's meetings after they occur. So we will often have these strategy meetings with the client to say, that lead, how was it? Was the prospect there? Was it with the decision maker? And we do something a little different at Market Reach. We actually um, use a recorded call for many of our leads that then get written by management so that it's like a court reporter, right? Nothing gets missed. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we type up a lead sheet to be able to really present the situation of the prospect. Um, And it's literally an exact reporting of what occurred on the call. So there's never bad quality at market reach because it's always good quality leads based on the interaction with the, with the prospect. So I think good communication with the client is just paramount. But from a staffing perspective, that's has been an interesting change for market reach. So we were in person for the first 19 years, and then the pandemic occurred through the world in a tailspin. And we said, you know, we can manage this program virtually um, with our staff. So we've got people that live 15 minutes here from the office that I haven't seen in two years. Um, and the reason for that is because we decided to go remote. Um, And so because of that, I've actually been able to hire um, people that are all over the country that are really solid A players, as I call it, uh, that know how to be consultative. And that's one of the things that sets market reach apart from the competition is that we are purely B2B. We are consultative. We ask questions. We find pain points and needs and um, and properly present value proposition. And yeah. that all culminates into a quality lead that the client will hopefully make some hay of over, over time.
0: And, and your use of sales technology and recordings and constantly touching in with both the client and even the prospects is what, what allows you to kind of fine tune that messaging between the, the, your staff member that you hired and, and the end prospect.
1: Yep. You got so it. The QA
0: the QA yep. makes it. And that's a, I, it works. I'm like, I, I, I like it. I think, I think the, I think a lot of times the sticking to the discipline of, of actually, you know, asking the tough questions, even what went wrong with the call, right? You could find out like, you know, that feedback, right? And that's that feedback loop that, that I think separates you guys from what I hear. Uh, talk to me a little bit now about like your best clients. And I'm going to try to like, tr- going to try to make you pick one, knowing that you do probably handle everybody. Yeah. Or imagine that you had only one choice, software or service, which would you pick and why?
1: Huh. Okay. Yeah, I would probably pick service. Although we have plenty of software and um, technology clients, we've done it all. I mean, we've got we have a client that's a business broker where we call business owners uh, who may be in a position to sell, uh, and and we're looking for on behalf of a buyer. Uh, We have clients that do janitorial services, right? Uh, I would say- I used used to have a
0: janitorial company.
1: (laughs) Oh, really? That's a surprise, Amir. You've done it all. Um, But we have clients that are generally service-based. So very few of them make widgets that we then sell. We really do appointment setting on service-based intangibles. And um, the best client for us is, is a client that is B2B that wants some kind of outbound call made, ideally one that has a prospect list in mind. For example, we have an insurance uh, client who's about to come on board who is the restaurant association main guy, right? He pays for that. He pays to be the, uh, the, the guy that is promoted in the restaurant association, but he's got great brand awareness. He's got authority. He's got credibility. And even if not every prospect knows him, our introduction is warm which takes down the guard and the defense of the receptionist. Boom, step one, take the guard down of the receptionist, right? Um, To to get through, because that's the biggest challenge of cold calling is getting through to the decision maker. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you're armed with a client that's got brand awareness or credibility or a reliable prospect list, that's step one. It doesn't matter the industry. But to answer your question, if I were to say uh, some industry, so we've got success in insurance, we've got success with, um, again, business brokers, janitorial, vending. Vending operators is a big one for us. Um, But we've got, you name it, and we've done it because we've been around for over two decades. So uh, any client that's B2B that's looking to get more at-bats with their client, we're we're your people.
0: Talk to me about market. You got to pick one. America, Europe, APAC.
1: America. Yeah. So we are, we are um, English speaking folk here. We are all uh, within the country. And um, so we, we actually call mostly America and a little bit of Canada right now. I'd be open to some Europe, uh, but, but it does have to be English speaking.
0: (laughs) Yeah, most of it is. This has been awesome. Um, talk to me about where people can reach you. If somebody wants to connect with you, wants to t- tap into the 20 years of experience and expertise you have, has a question about whether or not they, th- th- that you guys are the right fit or just something industry agnostic wants to ask a question, where can they find you? Is it LinkedIn? Facebook, where, where are, what's the yeah. best way for them to reach out?
1: Well, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn, um, but you can also go to my website, which is marketreachresults.com, marketreachresults.com. You can give me a call. I'm available, 609-448-6364. Um, so there's lots of ways to reach me, but um, I'm happy to talk to anybody that wants to chat or wants to understand how to put together an effective appointment setting campaign or uh, want simply more at-bats with their prospects.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I hope you come back for some more episodes and we get to see you in Columbia. So thank you for, for tuning in. And everybody who's been listening to the Transform Sales podcast with with me and Amanda, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And any requests or questions you might have, um, feel free to send them to me anywhere, any channel. I'm your writer. You can find me easily. Amanda, I will let you get, let you get back to uh, your day. And uh, it was amazing having you here. Thank you again.
1: Thanks so much, Amir, and thank you uh, guests for listening as well.